Robert Kennedy, we could have our first like libertarian third party president. Let's just say that Trump wasn't part of this. And you look at what's happening in, in things like with Nevada, where, you know, more people vote for no one than Nikki Haley, whether it happens in this cycle or, or coming forward, there's something happening that's really interesting because, you know, I like Robert Kennedy and I said this back in the day. I mean, I, I don't agree with everything, but I don't think you're going to ever agree with everything. And I think there's a lot that these kind of things show us on the true sentiment of the majority of Americans out there that are not far right, not far left. And maybe a lot of people listening to this show might think that we're far right, but we're not. Like, I, I'm a libertarian. Like, I'm pretty centrist here. And I think there's a lot more to what you just pointed out in Nevada, even though it's funny and potentially a nothing burger. There's something happening. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody. Welcome back to the King's Table podcast. Uh, what's up going on, guys? We got a good episode today. Really exciting. Lots and lots of topics. Uh, I am your host, Ashish Nathu. Of course, I am joined with my good friends, the Sage. Uh, just what a gorgeous, handsome shirt you're wearing, Mikey. The Mike Ayala Sage. He's here. Aaron Amuchastegui, not looking a year <laughs> over 21, and the hero of hospitality, of course, Maddie Atchison. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. Super, super excited for this episode. Before we get into all of our topics, we got a full docket today. I want to shout out that we finally launched our podcast on all of the audio podcasts. Uh, we took advantage of Mooch not being on the podcast two weeks ago and outvoted him. So we are no longer just on YouTube, but we are also on Apple and Spotify and Google and all of the audio platforms. So uh, shout out to our team, shout out to Tim and AJ and everyone on everybody's teams to making that happen so quickly. Uh, so as a listener, please make sure that you go to Spotify and Apple and you subscribe, you uh, share, you like, um, and leave comments there as well. So really, really appreciate it. Um, but more specifically, one of the reasons why we did launch on YouTube is so that we could get some more engagement and we could converse with you guys and talk and things like that. So I want to continue to shout out our episode last week, uh, episode number 25, got a lot of comments. We we actually broke some records in terms of views. So keep going to YouTube and leaving us comments. I want to thank Cody Cross Real Estate. Uh, appreciate your comment. Maddie Trembley had some really great questions. Um, Turner Ogle uh, wants one of Maddie's hats. He wants to become a dad in order to purchase a dad gang hat, Maddie. Uh, William Angel 6809, love the topics. And of course, Ryan Kennedy is saying that audio is a must. I strongly support that decision. So thanks that so means, much. For that means Ryan Kennedy is never going to listen to our YouTube page again. <laughs> Just so you guys know, we, we just lost a YouTube listener right there. So the well, he, like, he, he's saying he supports it. This guy also has a podcast. I know who this is, um, but I think we're doing really good on YouTube. I think people do need to hear it wherever they want to hear it. So, and sadly, and, for all of you guys on the podcast channels supporting the three of the three other guys on this unfortunately, podcast, unfortunately, this is no longer up for discussion. And the, oh, it's it gone. I'm just been, saying they're going to miss out on seeing my faces every time you mention. <laughs> You know, Spotify, they're going to not see me sticking my tongue out. So, you know what? <laughs> I've got a voice for radio. 
Matt, a voice for radio. You do. And, and shout out to Evan for the YouTube channel because Evan's so yes. great. Yeah, Evan's that I think we're going to win on YouTube. I, I still believe that. I do too. Well, Evan's making it happen for us. Uh, for the listeners, Evan is part of our team. And Evan has done a great job in really quickly pivoting from Wednesday to Friday, getting all of the content out on audio. And so appreciate you, Evan, AJ, Tim, and everyone else on the team. So just shout out to all of you guys. But we have a full docket, so let's just get into it. Um, you know, I think one of the things that I want to start out with is maybe some uh, some business strategy, culture stuff. We were talking a little bit about this, and we don't have to spend a ton of time talking about this, but I wanted to share a little bit about uh, some of the things that have been happening within our organization. Mike, I know you have this article about how the CIA thinks about organizations and their strategy in terms of management as well. Um, we talked last week about how so many companies are laying off tens of thousands of people. Um, there is a real strong push to work from home, going back to full office. The office occupancy rates are just skyrocketing across all major cities in the U.S. So we've started having some really deep, uh, more assertive conversations within our management team, within our leadership team about um, culture and energy and people leaving at 501 and just you know, how do we get back to hunger and how do we get back to beast mode? And what was really interesting, and I was having sort of a patient conversation, but injecting some intensity and trying to provoke some of it. But I think that, you know, what I realized was that the beast mode still exists in people. And I think some of the thing, some of the people in our organization are struggling with some of these generational challenges in motivating people and understanding what it takes to be hungry. Um, we also are seeing trends where younger folks with less experience are coming into organizations with much higher salary expectations and they don't necessarily understand what it means to work hard and work till 10 o'clock at night and earn your respect and earn your keep and things like that. So, but I just wanted to share that quickly as we were talking, I feel like we're not quite at a place where we have to demand five days a week. But definitely, I'm seeing a shift in managerial leadership perspective of we got to get hungry again. We got to get more intense. Beast mode's coming out. Um, and we're going to have to start having some difficult conversations with people that are leaving at 501. So I thought I'd share with that. Mikey, I don't know if, you, if that's a decent transition into your article. Um, you found something about the CIA. Go ahead. Yeah, Tim, if you want to pull that article up, this is just interesting, and we won't spend a lot of time on this today, but I just thought it was fascinating, the parallel, and I think there's a lot of lessons to take away from this You know, in our businesses, whether you're an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur or just an employee on a team, but this was actually written in 1944. The federal government published a confidential manual called the Strategic Services Simple Sabotage Field Manual Number 3. And this was authored by the founding father of the CIA, William Donovan. But here's what's interesting. Um, general interferences with organization and production. This is the manual for CIA on destroying our enemies. Be worried about the proprietary of any decision. Raise the question of whether such action is contemplated, lies within jurisdiction. Bring up irrelevant issues as frequently as possible. When possible, refer all matters to committees for further study and consideration. Attempt to make committees as large as possible, never less than five. <laughs> Refer back to matters decided upon at the last meeting and attempt to reopen the question of advisability of that decision. 
haggle over precise wording of communications, minutes, resolutions, work slowly, insist on doing everything from channels. How about that? Like Slack, Teams, um, contrive as many interruptions to your work as you can, do your work poorly and blame it on bad tools, advocate caution, be reasonable, never pass on your skill or experience to a new or less skillful worker. I just thought this was fascinating because like, as it goes on to talk about, it's not surprising that the founder of the CIA focused on decision-making as the weak point for organizational sabotage. I just, I thought this was fascinating mm. and I thought it'd just be a great uh, conversation starter. So I, I just think it's crazy that this is the CIA manual on sabotage. And it looks like today's corporate America. It's insane. It absolutely is. I mean, this should be the best do not do list that's posted in every company's wall, right? It was not real. Wild. It was a real, like, this is how you sabotage people. Yeah, it's a real, it's in the CIA manual. If you go research it, this is a Forbes article, but if you go look at it, there's old school like documents from that were in the CIA that talked about, this is how you sabotage our enemies' organizational efficiency. And it started with the idea of like, how do we slow down their production and and their economic growth and all of that. And I'm like sitting here looking at it and I'm like, this looks eerily similar to many organizations today. Hmm. Scary. Mooch, Maddie, any comments on what's going on within the businesses before we move on to some topics? I think we should just link that, put that in the, on the YouTube page, maybe our show notes for our podcast listeners as well, so they can actually relook at that list. It reminds me of, it's like, and some homework for the podcast listeners, if they haven't listened to this yet, they should go type in, if Sign I were the devil <laughs> by Paul Harvey, right? So the, if I were the devil by Paul Harvey is also very similar and it's eerie how long ago, like that was written, but there was a few, like the, some of the stuff that he puts in there, it's like, I would have judges pr promoting pornography. I would evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, then from the houses of Congress. In his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion. Um, I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make symbols of an Easter egg and the symbol for a Christmas ball. Um, I would take from those. It's a really interesting thing, too, that just talks about the world that we live in today. And so two homework assignments would be to reread that article that Mike said about, like, that's how we try to sabotage other companies and what we do. And then just read the If I Were the Devil. And like, come back to us with some questions and some comments because it is super, super eerie. Like the, the kind of predictions that he made so long ago that if, as I was rereading this a couple of days ago, it seems to have all come true. Um, crazy how it's a lot of it crazy. is. Crazy. It's baffling. Well, let's get into some topics here. Um, I want to start with domestic. We have a lot of domestic things going on in the world that is affecting all of us um, in different, different ways. Some of these things we talked about last time, and I want to wrap some nice bows around it. We talked last week about uh, Texas and how Texas was suing the federal government. We've seen some really interesting progress so quickly at the border. Um, Texas has secured the border, and they've already had some results. Matt, you want to take it from here? Yeah, if, if you want to pull that video up, Tim, I just think it's interesting. One, when we want to do something, we can do it very quickly. And it all we want to. Yeah. And, it, and, you know, there's videos of them, uh, the Texas National Guard building out the border. If you play this, this video, it's pretty wild to see 
how quickly what once was a completely open border now is a very secured border. And it went from, I think, you know, they were saying upwards of six to 8,000 people passing through the border every single day to securing it in this capacity. They're down to just three a day. So it's just really interesting when you, you know, think about why we haven't done this and just all of the politicking that goes along with it. And then obviously there being a lot more actual stories. And Mike, I know you sent over a YouTube video. I've gone down the rabbit hole of this actually being a planned invasion by other countries. And when you think about how, um, and Elon Musk kind of lit, you know, Twitter on fire as well, basically stating what Biden's border plan is and how they ultimately are working towards a one-party system and how voting is based on census. And that is just based on headcount. That's not based on whether they're legal, illegal. So it was a very, and I'll, I'll save that for other videos, other topics. Um, but I think it's just very interesting to see and also very exciting to see that we can do things that Americans want done very quickly when you've got uh, sound and aligned leadership. And when you've got the leadership that Texas has, which is very red driven, very conservative in a lot of ways, but most importantly, just looking at the constitution and what the state has the right to do and how the federal government working against the state has created so many problems with this illegal inflow. Um, it's, you know, it, to me, it's it's a, a step in the right direction and hopefully showcase. But you, obviously, you're not going to see this on any kind of mainstream media and them covering it. Hmm. Reminds me of what happened in Cal in San Francisco, right? When China showed up, like all of a sudden in a weekend, they cleaned yeah. it all up. I was trying to look up Mooch. the numbers. So the I, and I and I think to clarify, is that just Eagle Pass area? Yeah, because I mean they haven't because they haven't locked down the Texas border yet. No. And, um, no, no, no. But it's a, but it is a good example of, Hey, if you, yeah, if you put forth effort, you can take this. And then just like anything else in, in the world, if we can expand it, it goes back to some of the early wall talks and things like that. Very expensive endeavor to, I guess, maybe a question for all of us. It'd be, it's a really expensive endeavor to monitor the border. I think, right. If we did that at the same level across the whole border of Texas to stop it throughout, but it also does show that with money, you could you know, do it across the whole Texas border, right? So the, is it a, at what point do you, do people say that's too much money to secure it or not? But yeah, really cool to see from thousands a day to three a day. And that the video is a really trip. Yeah. And I, th I think the discussion is, I mean, you talk about the hundreds of billions of dollars that have been sent to protect other borders, um, right. And, and other interests that we as Americans are paying for, um, many, which, you know, the constituents of those voting and creating these policies would say, no, I don't want my hard-earned money going to that. Yeah. But I think a lot of people, you would say that money allocated towards protecting our own borders first, especially with fentanyl crisis, especially with, you know, you see more and more issues around crime. And this person was, you know, illegally, uh, you know, coming into the United States and they robbed a business or they raped somebody or they killed somebody. Right. So I think there's some some very big issues that 
if we're talking, I don't think it's a dollars conversation at this stage, right? We're, we're negligently throwing capital all across the globe. Um, but it's funny how scrutinized it becomes when we're talking about allocating it towards real causes and issues that are affecting Americans in uh, today's landscape. Yeah, I think it is a pretty, it's a pretty brilliant answer, Maddie, actually. But it's like, hey, is it worth the money? You're like, I'm not saying it's worth the money, but I'm saying we waste money on all sorts of things. So let's waste money. Like whether it's worth it or not, that's right. not the question. It's can we afford to do it? Yeah. If we divert money from here to here, people will be happier. Um, and I think that that's probably right. I don't know if you guys saw this, but there's a New York Times article on um, this border. There's $118 billion border deal that they're discussing. And there's... Yeah, sixty. There's like sixty billion dollars in that for Ukraine. Like, what the heck does? It's just crazy. And so that's just a great parallel to what Maddie's saying. It's like, you know, there's all this stuff that's disguised as a border deal because everybody's talking about it right now. But of 118 billion dollars, sixty billion of it is for Ukraine. Like, yeah, it's insanity. Sixty billion for military aid to Ukraine. Fourteen billion to Israel and only 20 billion for border security. And when you unpack the border security bill, a lot of it is pork and that as well. So a very small amount is actually going to the border, but this is the border protection bill, right? So it's just very interesting when, and, and also, right? A lot of- It is more than interesting, right, Maddie? Well, yeah, and a lot of people are just saying, hey, this, this isn't some unwarranted you know, issue that we're saying, hey, let's let's separate out these three things because this is not what we're trying to to work on here. But of course, right, Democrat and you know leftist policy is going. Let's layer it all in together and make them vote on it together, so we can somewhat hold them hostage if they want that border, you know, uh, aid to come through. We need to keep getting our interests, you know, uh, taken care of as well. So they. Republicans want to separate all three of those issues and say, let's let's vote on them individually. Aid to Ukraine, aid to Israel, aid to the border, whatever it is. But Democrats and really all politicians, let's be honest, play that strategic game with, well, you want this, but I need to get these things in the process. So what's it going to be? So yeah. it's kind of, it sounds a lot like our negotiation on YouTube versus podcast. <laughs> We just need to take some people out of the courtroom <clears throat> to vote. That's what happens. Are you guys That's the silent majority of the podcast? <laughs> the si you, you are the silent majority. The, the speaking of voting, let's like I've got we got some pretty cool, um, fun stuff. The not fun stuff, but like different articles. But I thought this one was just kind of funny to share. I guess kind of a no brainer. But it said uh, Nikki Haley was outvoted in the Nevada primary by right. none of these candidates. The none of these candidates checkbox. So Haley ran essentially unopposed in the primary because remember back in Nevada, they said Trump couldn't be on the ballot of the primary. And so more people checked the box that they weren't voting than checked the box for Nikki Haley. Kind of a nothing burger, right? But like a little bit, um, I think it helps take away the power from the state. Like whatever Nevada was doing, right? So now Nevada doesn't have a vote in who the Republican delegate is. Right. Cause in theory, like she got, she didn't win the majority there. So she can't get that nomination either. So it says the primary, which awards no delegates had seemed like a foregone conclusion. Right. Um, so the, but anyway, I, is it, is it a nothing burger? Does it take the, does it discourage states from actually doing stuff like that? Kind of showing them it doesn't matter if you take, you know, because uh, Trump is the first time it's happening, but the way that the world works is now in the future, states will do it. Right. 
they they will find out who they don't like and they'll find reasons to take people off the ballot you know with whichever side you're on there's enough you know there's enough reason for people to try it so do you think it matters maddie you think well you know what's interesting what's interesting about what you just said about you know is it a nothing burger if there, we've talked about the book Outliers before, and this is an interesting thought around this because if Trump wasn't running or if Trump can't run for some reason, Robert Kennedy, you know, that we could have our first like libertarian third party president. Let's just say that Trump wasn't part of this. And you look at what's happening in, in things like with Nevada, where, you know, more people vote for <laughs> no one than Nikki Haley. Like this. Whether it happens in this cycle or or coming forward, there's something happening that's really interesting because, you know, I like Robert Kennedy and I said this back in the day. I mean, I, I don't agree with everything, but I don't think you're going to ever agree with everything. And just back to that book on outliers, you know, and, and comparing, is this a nothing burger? I don't, I think there's a lot that these kind of things show us on the true sentiment of the majority of Americans out there that are not far right not far left. And maybe a lot of people listening to this show might think that we're far right, but we're not like I I'm a libertarian. Like I'm pretty centrist here. And, and I think it just, I think there's a lot more to what you just pointed out in Nevada, even though it's funny and potentially a nothing burger, there's something happening. Yeah. I, I agree with that. You, like you said, you know, the mainstream media is really good at labeling people nowadays in a very extreme way, but I'd have to guess that 90, 95% of Americans who mainstream media calls extremists or far right want only to work for a living, keep most of their money, or at least have their money accounted for in terms of where it's getting spent. And if it really is impacting them, their families, their businesses, their communities, their states, their country, they want to raise their kids in peace without, you know, um, schools and you know other organizations indoctrinating them or telling them what they need to do or think or how to be get them a good education and own a nice home and be left alone right but at the end of the day so many people are being labeled these things and i think like you said mike the the polls are starting to reflect the sentiments of where people are at and maybe not even to the extent that it's as accurate as it probably is true in society and culture, but I think more of these kind of discussions and also the data that trickles out when you see some of these kind of, um, I don't want to call them bait and switch, but these interesting, you know, strategies and ploys that you see on the political aisles on both sides starting to get exposed a little bit more. And I think people are starting to pay attention to that. Well, I think... You both summarize that really well, so I'm not going to elaborate, but I think we are much, as entrepreneurs, we tend to lead libertarian, not right or left. We want to be left alone. We want to be, we're capitalists when it comes down to it. And I think why this is not a nothing burger is I think that we see state and courts and policy and politics and power get involved uh, where we feel like, hey, just let people decide. Now, you know, regardless of who who you want to vote for, there should be everybody on every ballot, and let the people decide. I think that's what we're why I think these these things are kind of important for even Donald Trump, who is so controversial. Every time somebody talks about Donald Trump, their brain explodes. Um, 
Well, that's I think that's why it's important that he needs to be on the ballot because let the people decide if they don't want him, they can pick none of the above. But uh, we start to lose libertarian principles when we take people off and the people are not doing that. It's people way above. So and nowadays, I think what's interesting, too, is with social media and and you have so much data on social opinion in terms of what is the people thinking. So if, if 50% of people are thinking that, Hey, I actually am a Trumper and I'm the polls are going that way. And for then government systems to get involved, to say, we're going to run policies to pull that things up. We're, we're running away from libertarian is maybe even becoming socialist. So I think that's why this is not a nothing burger mooch. Right. Yeah. I think, um, I think you guys are a lot more positive about America's future than I am on, on like the, the, the chance of a third party person winning. Um, it's gotta be, it, it has to be well, not even, I not even choreographed. It just has to be all the right things coming together at the right time, which usually when there's some level of major change or disruption, that's what happened. It wasn't a strategic move by, you know, Republicans, Democrats. It's like, They've got numb skulls on both sides of it and people are just fed up and that's the only way that it happens. So I'm, if you would have asked me that question a year ago, I would have said no, but, um, the way things are going and the way that both parties are kind of sabotaging themselves, I think it's possible. Yeah. I, I 100% echo that sentiment and RFK, if you look at how he's polling, with millennials and younger millennials and gen z he, well one with millennials he's pulling much higher than trump and uh biden are with millennial or uh gen z which i think is you know 24 years and younger um right now he's pulling significantly higher than both of them i think combined so when you think about the future generations and the matters and the causes that they are extremely passionate about I think it is starting to become somewhat of that perfect storm scenario where you mm. could potentially see an independent take massive market share of the voting population and potentially win. I think, and Tim, I, I highlighted this to, to pull up in terms of um, listening to our boy Vivek, which I haven't heard too many people say in a very eloquent way what the deep state is, who they are. And why they're doing what they're doing. And I think now more than ever, they're, you would have said deep state a while ago, you know, even pre-COVID. You were a tinfoil hat, conspiracy theorist, crazy mf -er. There's no Illuminati. There's no deep state. What are you talking about? Oh, people know it is real now. You can't maybe necessarily touch it or see it or wrap your head, you know, your hands around it. But this is becoming more of a default, yes, this is true answer. And I think as that becomes more and more um, implemented in the psychology of American voters, if they, if they that deep state doesn't thread that needle perfectly time and time again, you're going to see more and more people be open to potentially something outside of this two-party system that has ruled for such a long time. So I think if there was a potential runway for an independent to take off, and again, it's going to take somebody that can play both sides of the fence, that can find that middle ground and be reasonable and unite. I think now more than ever, that is a possibility. And I think RFK has shown exactly front and center with his campaign and how he's running it, that 
other people that want to follow that path can do the same thing, just like Vivek did in you know a, a different context. So go ahead and play this because I think this is the reason why more and more people being aware of this and talking about this, we could see more of an independent party start to form mm. and push back on things like the deep state. What the deep state really is, is it is old world Europe pre-1776 rearing its head again. Because for most of human history, the way it was believed is only kings actually had the enlightenment to know what was best for you. And so the people who are the proponents of the deep state, they actually operate according to what they view as benevolence. The that they know what's right for you, that you can't possibly know what's right for yourself. So even though we tell you you get to vote for president and vote for your congressman and vote for your senator, that's dangerous because you might elect the wrong person. So that's what the deep state really is, is the people who were never elected to exercise political power because they believe that we can't be trusted to govern ourselves. So in some ways, the deep state predecessor was the monarchy. That's what we fought in American Revolution. The American Revolution was fought over rejecting that monarchical bureaucratic vision. Then we realized the deep state isn't something strange. It's actually very familiar. It's actually the way it's always been done, is that the people behind palace halls, that's how it used to be done. Now those palace halls are ugly looking three-letter government agency buildings in Washington, D.C. <laughs> FBI. <laughs> yeah, worst looking palaces, exactly. Yeah, right. But that's what really this is, is it's just the old world rearing its ugly head again. I just, uh, just, and I want to hear your guys' thoughts on this, but everything he just said of the old way and 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 why we fought back feels very eerily similar to where we are at right now mm. and a lot of people standing up and pushing back and fighting back against policy or big government or certain things that ultimately people are unhappy with and so i think if there was a perfect storm brewing for um a long in the tooth type of system to be reworked. Just like, honestly, if you think about the way the financial markets and the stock market and a lot of things pre-COVID and post-COVID, there's some stuff that just was long in the tooth and it's going through a re reworking right now. I think we're going to see that in certain asset classes and industries. I think we're also going to see that in government. And I think this is just a little glimpse and beginning of it, in my opinion. Ashley, you had anything to say about that before we jump? Yeah, I mean, I just, I don't want to go too long-winded, but I, I'm just thinking about myself and all of this stuff. And like, I feel like <clears throat> as an entrepreneur, a young entrepreneur, you are very defiant and, and uh, buck the consensus. But when it comes to politics and government and all that, like, I feel like I was so conforming to what I was being told. And I'm starting to wake up part of why we had this podcast so we can have these conversations and steel man topics and uh, see the other side and things like that. And um, I feel like I look at enough content on both sides of most arguments and it's just really hard to look at the world and say that the things that are happening make common sense. And so when you look at the border, when you look at all the things that are coming out of mainstream media, so much of it just doesn't make sense. It's so um, overly inflated in terms of how much money gets spent to solve problems and, and things like that. Um, I don't know if you guys saw this, that Tucker Carlson uh, is in Russia interviewing Putin. And I was like, okay, that was like all over the news the last day or two. And there's like a four minute clip that uh, explains why he's doing it. 
And then there's like all these retweets and all this fun stuff, right? But it's really fascinating to learn that nobody from mainstream media during the Ukraine war interviewed Putin. But during, during the Taliban, CNN, all these big mainstream media outlets <laughs> interviewed Bin Laden to, to steel man the argument. And so we have this border bill that is like $112 billion where 60, 70, 80% of it is laced with Ukraine money. And a very small portion actually talks about the border crisis. And, and uh, he also mentioned in his like intro about why he's doing this, that he was being spied on and by basically trying to be shut down. And it's happened to him multiple times. And so I just feel like it's really interesting how we are now in a world where the things that don't make sense to most common people are like, this just is, why can't we solve these problems? It doesn't make sense. And then you see people that are trying to prop their heads out say, hey, like we should try to go search for the truth. And, um, and it kind of makes sense. You want to be able to see both sides. Uh, we don't want to be told who's good and bad and who's right and wrong. Let us make the choices. And so I just think it's fascinating. I'm really excited to see it, um, to see what he has to say. Yeah, and he, he did publish a topic. And I don't want to pre preface this by saying like, oh, this is what – there's no context to it. But in the co topic, Tucker Carlson asked Putin, who runs the United States government? And he says, it's not the president. Well, then who is it? It's Well, it's all these other – people. It's the deep state. It's all the people that are in control and in power. It's not the president. So our people don't talk to the president. Our people talk to those people. And that's how we run our relationships. So just a glimpse of what could be happening. And I think we are also in a time where we have citizen journalism, where we can start asking these better questions. And I, again, going back to me, I'm starting to ask questions too, about like, what am I listening to? What am I reading? Am I being fed that information? Is there a Steelman uh, argument to that opinion? And I can go look for that and I should be able to access it. And I encourage everyone to start looking at it from that perspective. Is don't just take the opinion, not even from us, of what our opinion is. Like, go look at the other argument. And I think that's what's going to drive us to make better decisions as citizens. Yeah. So, Mike, deep state. Oh, yeah. Tw 20 seconds. Hold me to this. It's going to be quick. There was a comment last week from M. Moschino 7403, and she said, what do we do one morning when we wake up and it's reported that gunfire broke out between the feds and Texas at the border? What, what's, so, what's so interesting about that is like what Vivek was saying about 1776, like those guys were badass MFers. And you look at the Tea Party and all of that, and I've said this for years until the pain of our current situation becomes stronger than what it's going to take the pain to get through it. We're not going to do anything about it. And I think people are waking up to this. And so, you know, Ash, you said you're, you're excited to see it really until we're fed up with it. And until yeah. enough people are fed up with it, nothing's going to change. But it was a great comment because just even like what's going on at the Texas border, I mean, people don't want confrontation and issues, but at the end of the day, that's what it's going to take. That's what it's going to take. You remember U.S. history, right? Like that is when it broke off, like Boston Massacre and like the like some of the stuff like I or what they called it that. But it was like, which was really like six people getting sh It's just like an accidental gunfire all of a sudden. And so it's a very valid comment in the sense that in certain extreme cases like that, we saw during 2020, 2021, 2022, a very single thing. They're like, like George Floyd triggered into a bunch of other things. Like there's there could be a small single act of something 
that does trigger uh, bigger movements. You know, the last thing I'm going to say on Deep State before we jump into, I was going to do two more articles. I'm just going to do one so we can jump through some of our other ones. I think when it comes to Deep State stuff, guys, I think I am, maybe I'm a coward in this in this idea where what I would rather I'm glad you, do. I'm glad you said it. You saved us the Yeah, time. I would rather sure. figure out the rules of the game and then figure out to succeed inside the rules of the game. And I'm not trying to change the rules of the game. Right? So who's in control? I guess I don't really care. I'm going to figure out the rules of the game and try to win. Um, because until I'm a billionaire, I probably don't get to join the deep state. I don't know where the application is. I'm sure they'll send me one one day. But I think I need to add a few zeros before I get there. And so rather than try to define it, like I'm not going to be the one that fires a shot at the border. I'm just not. I'm going to figure out like these are the rules that we live in today. And so I am going to figure out how to make money and succeed and be happy within these rules. And once the rules change, somebody else is going to have to change them. Some like, cause that's just not the way that I'm going to do it with this. Um, so it's just a different perspective. I think, I think that you guys are some of the Patriots that so you guys might be there, you know, raising, raising signs and, and doing the thing. Um, I'm going to stick with, Hey, I know this is how the rule, I know, I know this is how the, the game is played. I'm going to try to win it. And then, uh, you know, Maybe I'll get invited to join, join the deep state later. Maybe not. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just jump to another deal here that I think kind of the last I election. So, so don't want to let you get away with that being the last word on that. Because I'm yeah, just I get curious. The, I get the what last if, word. What if the rules of the game change and you can't achieve or accomplish anything you want to achieve anymore and it shows up on your front door? Do you care? I don't believe that I won't succeed if I know the rules of the game. And the now the most extreme cases is is we get invaded and somebody comes and takes all of our stuff. I'll still be like so. There's like yeah, I, you're right, right there, and that is what that's what feeds the other could argument. Could you could you you know the rules of the game in Cuba? Can you go and achieve all of your life's greatest dreams and goals in Cuba? Maybe, right? Like maybe. and may, like maybe right? If that became the the target, like what I like there's. There are going to be different countries and different things where you go like that actually sparked some things to me of thinking my last trip in Cuba and being like, what if I did? So, you know, um, yes, the idea of you're saying like, hey, don't sit on your laurels because by the time I, you care, it might be too late. That might be true. I'm not going to be in a freedom convoy truck fighting. It's just not who I am. Right. But at the same time, I think there is a responsibility and duty of all of us to have conversations, healthy conversations and debate. Charlie Kirk says this a lot. He's pretty extreme. And a lot of what he says, I'm like, kind of cringy. But a lot of the root of what he says has actually got some good merit to it. But he says the second we stop having conversations is when things start to get dangerous and spin out of control. And I think they want us to stop having conversations around key and important things that impact our lives or they're just taking a page out of the CIA playbook, right? And they're just distracting us and throwing in all of these things that we were talking about at the at the top of the show. So I just thought it was interesting of going like, I'm kind of with you in the sense of like, just throw me in whatever game and I'll adapt and I'll figure out how to play the best of my ability to win and achieve whatever I want out of it. But there is going to be a point in time where there could be a game that is rigged against you. And no matter how hard you try and no matter how ambitious and exciting and you know, your dreams and your goals and your vision is and how equipped and skilled you are, you're still fucked and you still can't yeah. do anything about Let, it. And that's, I, that's where I think 
there's a fine Plus, line. You're just thinking about you, right? You as an entrepreneur, you were, you were built to overcome obstacles, but one, two, three degrees of separation from you, your employees, your customers, your partners are all influenced by these outside forces that could ultimately affect you or influence in the, in your path or your process, right? So will you succeed? Will you find a way to succeed or whatever your, uh, whatever that means for you? Yes, because that's who you are. And I think as entrepreneurs or leaders in the world, we have a responsibility to also make those circles of influences lives more reasonable, more safer, more abundant, um, things like that too. Right. So you're, I don't disagree, but I also don't agree. I hope we get some questions and comments on this because it's also though, guys, it's the same advice I would give to like our listeners or anything. And you guys would get like, and we're, so we're giving like, with you. we're giving four different perspectives. I'm going to tell our listeners, if you can't control it, like don't yeah. stress out. Don't worry about it's it. It's like the amount of people that stressed out about what COVID was going to do, if they would have spent their time, like building their own, whatever, instead of the worry, life would be way different. You know, I know I love my buddy prepper Mike here. Right. But I also say that like the people that are preppers today, they're like, why aren't you a prepper, Aaron? And I go, well, because I think that there's probably going to be some more signs before I need to be a prepper. So rather than think there's any time I'll ever need to be, Nope, I'm going to focus on today and win at today's game. And there will probably be a few more signs, but there are some movies that maybe made me question that. So anyway, two, a couple different perspectives out there, guys. You can be the ones that stand up. You can find the rules of the game. And even the people that are making minimum wage, like those, there's rules of the game. But this, this, is, this is coming from the guy that put a, a generator in his house. Yeah, let's like, go. That was, what you got for us? That was reactionary and it's a kick-ass generator, dude. And next time- It's that, the but, same thing. But since, but it's actually, I've actually used it since the freeze. Like I had five days, no, but I didn't preemptively do it thinking it was going to freeze someday. I had five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> put that picture up there. The, I, I sent it to Tim. Tim is taking over. All right. Tim, you gotta let me take back the screen so we can we can pivot before before Ash gets sad. I love you guys on that. I love it. Um, all right, my last thing that we're gonna have to be thinking about here: How is this gonna play out? Federal appeals court rejects Trump's claim of absolute immunity, which just means he is not immune from prosecution on the charges of plotting to subvert the results of the 2020 election. He must go to trial on a criminal indictment uh, accusing him of seeking to overturn uh, the loss. Now, just so you guys know, there's trial will not be done before an election, right? So just it's just really interesting to go, so how will this play out? Because people are like, should, you know, who can run for president? Who can't? What does the Constitution say? Legally, inside the Constitution, Trump gets to run. Because it's going to say based on whatever. I thought this was really interesting that it goes back to even what like Ash and you guys said when we when we started the channel of you could vote on or start the pod today, you could vote on none of the above, right? And so it's like, do we give the power to the people and have it do it? So does it matter? So like he wanted just immunity, which I actually think that he was like entitled to it, but the courts don't. So I don't know. I'm not an attorney or legal person after all. But now it's saying. All right, he does have to stand trial for that accusation, but we know that the trial won't be completed until the election. And so what's going to happen? Will he still get the nominee? Who, anybody had a big, want to talk about it? Big, big opinion on it? I think that he's, he's 
going to get the nominee, and I think he's also going to get prosecuted. I, I think they're they're going to continue to swing until they find something. And knowing Trump and his dealings, and that's just what I know publicly, <laughs> I, I they're they're going to find potentially something that they can they're stick to. Find them. something, but is it enough to keep this guy off the ballot? I mean. Honestly, and this this might sound crazy, but I, I see civil war happening before they they keep this dude off the ballot, or or they they completely prevent. Like I think that's where his party, his base, and and people that you know are really passionate about supporting him as not necessarily him as a person, but him as a symbol for what they're fighting against. And I think. So many people now are passionate about what they're fighting against, that he has the most momentum behind him. He's got the biggest, you know, um, movement behind him, that that's where we're going to see people lean, not because they love Trump and how he says what he says and his mean tweets and all the stuff, right? It's because of what he stands against. And I think that is building more momentum than he himself is as a person, if that makes sense. Yeah. Let me add a quick part of this article before before Mike or, or Ash jump in and maybe Maddie, you'll have a, a different response too. So his Trump's attorney says, if immunity is not granted to a president, then every future president who leaves office could be immediately indicted by the opposing party. Without complete immunity, a president of the United States would not be able to properly function. Uh, panel's ruling, you know, so the... What do you think of that argument? I thought that was an interesting argument, right? The idea of like, well, because you talk, think about like when there's countries, even like Russia, where there was, there was people voting for people in power and then all of a sudden power changes and then they get rid of the people and there's, they get rid of the opposition. It's democratic places or places that looked democratic became not. And so I think there is an argument of a president should be immune or, you know, but that might just be because I like him, but I just thought that was an interesting comment. Mikey? I No, I, I agree with that because, you know, when you look at the decisions that these guys and maybe girls at some point in time have to make, um, and in this day and age where, you know, documents are opened up and FOIA requests and, you know, the Freedom of Information Act and all of that stuff that has changed, um, you know, I don't, I don't envy their position. And, and again, the decisions that they have to make on a daily basis that are really hard decisions. And I think that that's why that position has, you know, the immunity that it does. Um, because sometimes they're forced between two bad decisions that no human would ever want to make and they have to. And I, I think it's a slippery slope. So I'll, I'll just leave it at that. But it's such a great point, Aaron, because, you know, us looking from the outside, us, you know, peons that, don't set the rules and just go with the flow. Like we don't understand what, what, what they're up against. So great point. Yeah. Imagine the guys that dropped the atom bomb getting indicted, right? Like the guys that made it like the, the president at the time, like people going like, no, that was too extreme. Like there's um, it's, it's, I just think there's more to the argument. We'll see if it plays out, if it matters during this election. They're not saying that he's immune to everything. It's just that he is, he, he, where did the article just go? We moved it, but it, this is specifically about the election interference and, and the transition of power, or is this just a broad stroke? Yep, he's not immune to anything. It's about that in particular, but the but the argument is that a president should be immune to everything mm, for what they yeah, do yeah, while yeah. No, they're in that. office. 
because it happened yeah. while he was I in office. He, he was still standing president. And so it's just saying if a standing president can be indicted for something he does while a president, then it opens up, you know, it just opens up a can of like we're getting more and more polarizing. Okay, let me let me challenge you on that. Like, can a CEO do whatever he wants to do when he's CEO? Is he immune to everything while he's CEO? Can he do illegal things as CEO? And then, uh, you know, you know what I mean? Like, well, the, the laws of wartime are completely different than the laws that a CEO is governed by. And that's what I'm getting at too, is like, yeah. so I, I get your point, Ash, but there's a big difference between a CEO of a business and somebody that has to make decisions to, you know, drop a bomb on, you know, 10,000 people or like Aaron was bringing, I mean, just the decisions that these people have to make. And, and it, it also opens up and I'm not arguing for making good. Or, it opens up a whole other issue. I think where if presidents have to worry about the decisions that they're making, they're not going to make decisions. Yeah. Fair enough. That's fair. Um, yeah. And so I, I get your point, but there's a big difference between a CEO making some illegal decision and the decisions that a president has to make on a daily basis. Um, and it, whether they're right or wrong, I'm not arguing for the decisions yeah, that are made by these guys, but that, I think that's kind of why that presumption of um, immunity exists. And then also, if, if we go down this slope, um, you know, people standing up for, you know, what they believe in and what's right. If they have some concern that, you know, a future president isn't going to pardon them because they didn't yeah. scratch their back and it didn't pander to the left or the right. Like, I just think it goes down this slope of even not, not to loop back to this, but when you talk about the deep state and, and people just agreeing to whatever, when, when presidents get to a point where they have to start worrying about every little decision they make through that lens, um, I think the argument that Aaron brings up or points out is, is pretty valuable and it's scary. Yeah. Impeachment was well, the way, right? Like the, what, what's supposed um, to happen if you think that a president has done something wrong, impeachment was the thing, but after impeachment, people weren't going to jail. Right. And the, but the way that that used to happen, even with Nixon was then the next president would automatically give them a pardon, which had like, you know, so it's a, it's just, it's, mm. It's an interesting argument. Well, I want to I want to stay with some of this because, um, and I want to take it from domestic topics to international topics. Maybe talk about what's going on here. I, I in the last few weeks I've been like kind of preaching that okay, it looks like Trump's going to win. If Trump wins, then you know, and we we're an importer primarily from China, and so we I, I kind of assumed, hey, look, there's a whole new slew of problems that he's going to have to deal with. And so the anti-China tariffs, like let's fight with China, that that narrative is kind of passed. We already did that in the first term. And Biden didn't reverse any of that kind of narrative or topics. In fact, Bi in fact Biden is trying to like rebuild that relationship a little bit from all the rhetoric. Um, but two days ago, there was an article that came out where Trump uh, in a conversation said that they would consider a tariff upwards of 60% on Chinese goods. And I think we talked about this last week and, and I just got this information yesterday. And so obviously within our organization, it's an important topic to figure out what to do, but <clears throat> it's a very fascinating topic. And I want to, I want to talk about this and see what you guys think, because, um, 
you know, if he gets elected and you increase a tariff by 60%, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the trade balances. And I still think that, and I don't remember, I think Mikey, you had it where Mexico is now the largest uh, importer country. And I, I saw another article where China is at 500 billion, right? So we still have a lot of to volume to distribute. So even as of 2023, we imported $520 billion of goods from China. Um, that's still a material amount of stuff. So what happens is, is that when you increase the tariff from 25%, which it currently is, on a majority of those goods to 60%, um, what do we think is going to happen? So let's kind of war game this a little bit, right? Wow. Yeah, let's play this out because the idea is like, okay, well, let's make America great again. Let's build the factories. Let's produce these goods that we're importing uh, back in America. So my challenge or question would be is, okay, well, if it didn't work the first time to get those jobs started, what what is 60% going to do? Is that going to be that painful that now it makes sense to spin up factories and start trade schools and you know educate labor, et cetera? The second issue is that how likely is it that that, front, that product is not going to go from China just back to the US, but instead distribute elsewhere? So instead of going to China, it's going to go to Vietnam and Malaysia and India and, and Russia and Africa and blah, blah, blah. So it's just going to be made in different places, not necessarily made in America. And then if it's not made in China and it's more expensive in other countries, which often it is, which is why the certain, you know, if we talk about international trade, we always want to go to the place where it's the best and the best price, right? And so by laws of capitalism, you're probably being forced to go to a place that's more expensive. And so the, the people that bear that cost are not the companies or the manufacturers that are burdened with that tariff. It is the U.S. consumer. We saw that play out during COVID where we had 25% tariffs. That cost was very quickly transitioned over to the U.S. consumer. So just a super fascinating thing. I want everyone to understand that. Um, and China, by the way, is really struggling. We just had our China team here two days ago, and they were telling us about how real estate prices, you know, the Evergrande is, is really in trouble, the largest real estate development company in China is struggling with making their debt payments and, and defaulting on their debt. That's a big problem for China. Um, most of their population invests in real estate. Um, they don't have quite the occupancy levels as we have here, which means they buy real estate that's just in empty buildings. And if there's no population to fill them and the economy falls, then that's a big problem for the overall wealth of, of China. So just a fascinating thing. I don't know if you guys have any opinions about this, but uh, I expected us to be past the anti-China thing and move past it. Um, but it looks like we're using some rhetoric that shows that that could that's not the end of it and this will affect the US consumer. How much is in, the current tariff? In, Ash, like you you probably know, like what's the current the tariff? Majority of the goods are 25%. Yeah. And they're talking about taking it from 25 to 60. I met Yeah, so um, when when the tariffs are at 25%, US consumer prices go up by 10 or 20%, right? So if if you if you sell $100 worth of goods in the US, let's say back of the napkin, your cost of goods sold is 50 bucks. So if 25% tariff on 50 bucks, you're charging your customers about 12.5% on the price of goods, right? So no longer prices are 100 bucks, they're, 100 and, they're 112. And so that cost is what 
the inflation, that's what we experienced in terms of inflation really quickly. Yeah, I had, a, I was having a conversation with somebody this week and I think my comments on this are pretty short, but I'm excited about it. Cause I was just talking to somebody that does a lot of importing from China, right? So they do manufacturing in China. They do importing a lot like, a lot like you, Ash. So I'd be really curious about your perspective. And pretty much they said they have two options. If people need stuff fast, then they ship it from China to the U S and they pay the 25% tariff. And they said, but if people don't need it fast, they ship it to Mexico, they drive it across the border and it's the same price. It just takes three weeks longer. So it was like, there's like two different options. If people need stuff today, or if they need it next week, instead of in three weeks, then they're paying the penalty. But if people don't need it in three, if people can actually like wait an extra couple weeks, like if you're buying, I, I ordered 400 shirts for like $2 a piece that have my like company name on them and stuff. And I got them and they're amazing, right? Like deal a century. It might've been a buck a piece. It was crazy pricing. But if I want to get like custom ones delivered tomorrow, they're 25 bucks a piece, right? And I'm sure they went from China to Mexico to up here. It took like forever to get here and they got here and I'm like, this is amazing. So I think that, um, and maybe legally there's going to be a loophole of that, but I think the game, the gamified answer is that there's two different prices rush, but it's going to look, just look like shipping instead, like rush shipping from China. Do you need it in two weeks? Well, it's a 60% shipping fee, but if you just want regular ground where we ship it to Mexico comes over, comes up on a truck, comes in, your shipping is going to be way, way less, but it's going to take an extra three weeks. I don't see any reason why that just wouldn't be. Uh, the thing and the way. So I think maybe China still thrives and the people that need to pay, that can pay a premium will. I, I actually don't think the US consumer is penalized. I do think it's really going to help people in Mexico. And I texted a buddy of mine before the start that has a trucking company that all he does is truck from Mexico to the US. Uh, and, he, and he started well, that's that what we need to do. 2020. That's what we need to start. We need to start a transportation trucking company yeah. called Ayala Transportation. And we will hire a bunch of drivers and send up schedule routes from Mexico all over the main lines of the U S yeah. and we'll, it's like, you got to figure out where, so the boat from, where is the port in the closest port in Mexico? And all you need is a trucking company from that port in Mexico into the U S and it squashes the problem legally. Am I wrong? Is that like not a gamified answer? Does that, will it not solve it? Yeah, no, that's, I love you, Mike. I mean, kind of. Yeah. What I love yeah. about it is I think it leads to stuff like this. This is why I love capitalism is because we are incentivized to innovate and solve problems. And we get to keep that upside and value that we bring to the marketplace. And when you no longer see something making sense, what it does is it forces entrepreneurs to get to work and creating new opportunities that do make sense. So the rules of the game change. Yeah, I think the, the rhetoric is just... Uh, whether it happens or not, it's got smart people like us talking. It's got other people that are way smarter than us talking, right? And I think that is, and, and ultimately that is a good thing because it's going to allow us to top grade what has been for so long to become what it's going to have to become in order to make sense going forward based on, as Aaron said, the rules of the game changing. So yep. whether it's 60%, 80%, 10%, right? These things changing are a good thing for entrepreneurs to get to work in creating solutions that bring more value as a result. Spot on. I mean, I, I just got this information yesterday and you don't think I'm thinking about it. I'm like, of okay, how do we war game? Where do we move? 
How do we communicate to customers? How are we going to deal with pricing? So all of that is spot on, Mooch. Um, and what, and what's, what's interesting, Ashish, when COVID happened and you moved manufacturing to Mexico, um, you know, and I brought this up a few shows back and I hadn't really researched it, but I was talking about the issues with Panama Canal and all the shipping issues. And, you know, this is the beauty of what Maddie was talking about. And, you know, Aaron's brain goes to how to, that's all I was thinking about a couple of weeks ago. Tim, will you pull up that article on Mexico militarizing airports? And, and this is what's important about, you know, security, whether it's border security on our side or even what Mexico is currently doing. I went and found an article after we talked about this two weeks ago or three weeks ago. And it's interesting because, uh, Tim, you don't need to pull this article up. But the thing that I found after I made that comment, um, Marsk is actually using a Panama railway. And, and we discussed this, I think, off camera. But they're using a railway right now to bypass the Panama Canal because the Panama Canal is having water issues. And that's what made me think about Mexico and everything that's going on with China. And this is interesting um, because if you look at this article, and, and we'll link this in YouTube, but the name of this article is Mexico's Militarizing the Airports. And within the last um, bit of time, the Mexican military has actually started taking over the airports. So um, I think it's the San, uh, I can't remember. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Benito Juarez Airport in Mexico City, they've militarized like eight of the main airports in Mexico because so what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, literally the military took it over. It was a private, well, it was a state ran airport and the military took the airports and they're under the control of the military now in Mexico. And mm. you'll see this. I mean, I go to Mexico city. It's one of my favorite cities in the world and there's military there. They have machine guns. And the reason why they did this is because the cartel was using the airports and there was a bunch of theft going on and they were transporting drugs. And if you really read the tea leaves here or the signposts, this is what people need to pay attention to. Mexico wants to clean up its act because it knows the position that it's in. And yeah. when you look at the stats of it already being the number one trading partner in the United States of America, and whether you love orange man or hate him, he sees something going on. And I think Mexico I think Mexico is a huge opportunity, you know, whether it's starting the trucking company or whether it's what Aaron said, when you see the Mexican military taking over the airports, they want to control these ports. Um, Tim, pull up the other article on Mexico building a railway to rival the Panama Canal. Maybe I was too early, huh, Mikey? Maybe I got to try I, again. Th no, this is ahead the, of my time, bro. This is the entrepreneurial problem. Like we sometimes get an idea in our head and we either start too early or we pull out too early. And I think you were onto something, but this is an article from August of 2013. So with the renewed push for reviving a century old railroad across the Southern portion of Mexico, Mexico is one step closer to realizing an overland shipping route to rival the Panama Canal. The approximately mm. 2.8, anyway, I won't go into the details on this, but- So they're, they're railing providing... across, instead of going around Panama, you would rail a container from through Mexico instead of having to, to go through. So you're competing with the Panama Canal. That's what you're saying? Yes. And Brilliant. this is mm. just showing that the government of Mexico understands their opportunity. They understand. They're already finally. the number one- they're, they're already the number one trading partner in America. And I wouldn't be surprised if you don't start seeing Mexico get on team. Now, 
Oh, obviously there's always, you know, Aaron was talking about this, the powers that be and not fighting it. There's a lot, there's a lot of Mexican citizens that want an open border for obvious reasons because they want the American dream and it takes so long to get through that. And I loved what Aaron was saying earlier because I don't know that our government, I don't know that Congress is ever going to agree on the solution to this, which is legalized immigration. But here's the reality. And I made this comment three or four shows ago. Maybe it doesn't matter. There's Aaron's favorite quote of mine. Maybe it doesn't matter in five years because if Mexico is actually a prosperous country, then maybe Mexicans don't actually want to come here. So if Mexico gets their shit together, if Mexico gets their shit together and they militarize the airports and they shut down the cartels and they build the shipping routes and they build the trucking routes and people actually feel safe having a business that's safe to transport you know, transports goods. And one of the main reasons why people wouldn't want to ship their goods through Mexico is they don't feel safe that their goods are actually going to make it. But if Mexico's government gets their crap together with the help of the United States of America, they could go from being the current trading that they are to something even bigger. I said this a while back, but they have a huge opportunity here. And just the fact that they're they're refiring up that railway, just the fact that they're militarizing the airports, they're militarizing the bus depots, I wouldn't be surprised if five years from now, Mexican citizens don't actually care about coming to the United States because there's opportunity in Mexico. Spot on. I I hope for that. Love it. Why wouldn't we want that? I think you're spot on, Mikey. Great, great analysis. Yeah. Have you guys seen the the picture of the, uh, our quick example of Mexico getting it together? Really quick. The photos of a new sprawling Amazon warehouse in Mexico surrounded by deteriorating shacks. Have you guys seen this image? Mm, no. Right? Like, look at that giant Amazon super center in the middle of, you know, near Tijuana, Mexico. Right? Like, it's stuff's changing down there. And, um, and yes, it is really what a trip to think. Like, if Mexico becomes safe, viable, good to do business, people, like, uh, yeah, it changes the whole border discussion. The more like, but more like how it is to travel between Canada and the U.S. or, or whatever. So anyway, well, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna go down to Mexico. I'm gonna go down to Mexico in the next month or two. I'm gonna go shopping a little bit, and I'll share what with you guys what I learned because I think my his my historical experience with manufacturing in Mexico has been nothing but painful, and I think it's uh, why I launched it because I knew that we had to be there. Then I pulled out because it was so bad. It was so painful. I mean, Aaron, you gave an example of, oh, if you just want to wait three more weeks and, you know, then you just go, you know, but that's not the case. Well, you're still manufacturing in China. You're just shipping it to Mexico first. Uh, well, I think I think you can't do that from a tariff perspective. It's not legal. So you're, mo- most of the things that are moving to China are actually being remade in China, like actually being made in China. And there's a lot of articles which we can talk about later too about the people that are growing manufacturing in China are not the are sorry in Mexico are not Mexicans they're Chinese mm-hmm. the Chinese companies are buying the land they're buying mm-hmm. building the factories they're moving people over um, because they realize what's happening also so uh, I'm gonna go shopping I'll share some information because uh, unless the labor force of Mexico really understands what American consumers want, which is reliability and speed and cost, then um, we could wish for this. But if the labor force doesn't understand it, we may not get what we want. I don't think you can just buy your way through this process. 
uh, it is not easy to make to move supply chains. So I think that's why you're seeing China go over. But anyways, damn good topic. Love it. Wait, one well, final thing. Is there any interest in investing in certain assets or industries within Mexico, believing that this is the next frontier of opportunity? Should some of these things get worked through? Absolutely. What yeah. does that look like? And I mean, so if uh, Aaron, Cody Sanchez, so Karen and I have been going to Mexico City for the last, I don't know, three years. And we went there with one specific goal to look at real estate. And when I got back a few months later, Cody Sanchez put up a, a post because she spent a lot of time there um, in private equity dealing with Mexico. And she actually made a comment. She said, Mexico City is going to be the, re the Rio de Janeiro of the 70s and 80s. And I've spent some time on the ground in Mexico City. It's and so awesome. if you look at the real estate market there, you can get a really amazing condo right now in Polanco um, or even um, there, there's a few different um, areas there, but you can get an amazing apartment there for like 300,000 US dollars. And when you look at even the appreciation that has happened in those markets in just a short period of time, and people are scared of investing in real estate in Mexico because of previous issues that happened in the past, but Mexico has really changed their um, their real estate laws to, to actually benefit people. So Maddie, it's a great question. And Kara and I actually, I mean, I've got a picture on my, my dream board of, of a, a, a picture of a condo in Polanco because Airbnb has really taken off in Mexico City. And, you know, the last thing I'll say on that too, Ash, when you look at the labor, like what does, you know, labor has to get their stuff figured out? Well, the money changes everything. And so yeah, it's, true. There's it's true. There's always this, you know, there's this period of time where there's volatility. Um, but the reality is, is there, I have a strong feeling that they're going to get their stuff together. And I would say, just to answer your question, Maddie, point blank, um, look at the real estate markets, not in like a, well, I'm not saying you can't look at like a Cabo San Lucas, but basically prices in Cabo are, are more than the US. If yeah, you go yeah. to the cities, you can get some really amazing deals where people want to live. And as this stuff starts to take off, there's going to be more and more need for nice housing and rental properties in, in these areas. So I, great, great question. When I was in Monaco, we were walking around and I was exploring and it seemed like a thriving, bustling, um, you know, metropolis. And with how many people are densely populated in CDMX, I just see there like that and other, you know, um, ancillary markets that are driven by certain economic trends that are tied to a lot of the stuff that we're talking about that if, like you said, some of those things get worked out and there's opportunity there, money is gonna significantly flow into those types of markets. So for those that are investors and are looking at, you know, potential opportunities around the corner, or, you know, down the path, to me, Mexico has always felt like one of those, but for those same things that you just brought up, right, there being still some wild, wild west, you know, feels to uh, making significant investments in markets like that. I think they iron some of those things out. That could be a very opportunistic market to take a look at. Well, you guys, you guys have been got me excited. I mean, we have an office, we have an actual L entity in Mexico where we staff people 
And I've been in Mexico many, many times with a lot of business operations. And like Mike and I have talked about this for years, like we had a full-on operation of manufacturing there that we pulled out. But you're spot on, man. If these trends are real, I'm going to get out. I'm going to get down there. I'll come back with some ideas and opportunities, see what the, what the people are talking about on the ground, what's real, what's not real. But when you talk about the growth, you know, if you just talk about just movement of product, we talk about transportation, we talk about staffing, training, employment opportunities, right? Um, recruiting, all those types of things as this population gets more mature, then they make more money. Then they got to start buying apartments and condos and cars and blah, blah, blah. So just super fascinating trends. Um, what if maybe we before when you go out there too, what if Mexico is the last mile? of the of the manufacturing process like in china let's say something gets assembled you know your your thousand piece system gets put into six pieces now that gets shipped to mexico and the final six get assembled in mexico like when yeah. is it not a tariff and when isn't it i think there's probably a whole bunch of ways to skin this cat that provides mm -hmm. all of those things together because if you're getting raw material from china it's not, I don't think you're paying a tariff. The majority on it. of the goods have to be assembled in that country. It cannot yeah, just so be like, oh, put two screws. So there's is some, that defined by numbers or quantity or size? Like, I just think that it's. Um, no, it's it's material work. So I think it's. Um, Aaron's trying to figure out the rules of the game. So yeah, I will yeah. come up. I will be back with the actual way to beat that tariff. Term. For sure. But yeah. it's not like, oh, if you just spend 25% labor and time on that then it's satisfactory. I think it has to be a majority, 51% or more of labor has to be allocated or time or assembly or something. It cannot just be put the iPhone in the box right. and ship well, 49 it. 49% in China well, probably still helps you. I'm going to be in Mexico City in two weeks if you have any homework for me. I'll go hunting too yeah. for you. Yeah, man. We're all going it, to Mexico, baby. It's no different than the Inflation Reduction Act, which we've talked about, like all these incentives on the EVs and all that stuff. Like the, it just has to be assembled in the United States. The parts can come from anywhere, and you know, just we, like us, exactly. Giant part, assembled in America, but from all over the world. <clears throat> it's really cool stuff, guys. The you guys are fast. Some of the best people I could ever have my weekly conversation with. The the time that I'm most looking forward to a podcast and conversations and probably the only time I ever consider my opinions and ask myself, are my opinions correct? Like when I think of just the you, you three getting to have the conversations like this and having to ask myself, like, am I right about this? Am I wrong about this? Should I change Spot my name like, or my opinion? And for people out there, not my name yet, I'm sticking with it for a while, but hopefully, you know, all the people out there listening, you know, jumping over to, YouTube, like, come tell us what you think. You know, hopefully we're doing the same thing for you. Hopefully some of the stuff you're agreeing with us. I did love some of the comments on YouTube that said, I don't agree with you guys on this. You know, I hear this part, but I don't agree with the fact that you guys like believe this or like have this opinion or that we're like voting a certain way. And that is, um, that's one of those things that we're trying to do. And the cool thing by now is I love that all of us have slightly different opinions and some stuff we're actually very different on. And a lot of stuff we're very we're the same on, but really good stuff. Well, that's the point. That's, that's the, the point. point. I think that's what we're trying to do here. Uh, as an example, is to kind of set a model of how we can have differing 
opinions about things and have civil conversations and sometimes agree to disagree without beating each other up. And, but, um, yeah, I think we're all having so much fun. We're learning so much. Uh, what a great conversation today. We went all around the world from the United States to all major countries and we're starting to identify some trends and let's go deeper. Let's figure out what's really going on here and see, um, such a good conversation. Remember, listeners, if you are listening to this on YouTube, you can also find this on Spotify and Apple, uh, sponsored by Aaron Amuchastegui. Um, he is paying for all of the audio podcast platforms. So please make sure you go there and subscribe and like. Paying for um, pride. And make sure that on YouTube, you guys are also subscribing and following us and leaving comments and questions. And we just love you guys engaging. Really, really appreciate all of you. On behalf of myself, Ashish Nathu, the sage himself, making us look not preppy enough today, Mr. Mike Ayala, the hero of hospitality, Maddie Aitchison, and Fidel Amushastegi. Thank you so much. Appreciate you guys listening to The King's Table. Until okay. next time. Peace. I, oh, wait. Hold oh, on. Mike's got, Mike's, Mike's got something. Go. I just, I just wanted to share one last thing, and, and we can oh, cut that. Oh, this is we a can... great idea. Great idea, Yeah, Mike. no, this is, this is awesome. Let's see if Tim got it. And if this doesn't make it, then. How small the world is. I just got a text from Mike's other son. So the story for really? later of how much I love all you guys. Yeah. <laughs> hey, there we go. Amigo Ashish. <laughs> the, yes, I, uh, we're changing okay. the world. You're the man. Mike, I love your work. The, we're doing it. You. you guys rock. I like that. Like Here's that, what I'll say. Final, final, final thing. Let me hold up my finger. Hard times create capitalists. Capitalists create good times. Good times create socialists. Socialists create hard times. Go oh, cap go shit. Boom. Our next shirt. Boom. Well, peace out, boys. Good, good talk today.